in the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Naomi's jogging to the back. And uh, I'm sure she's intending on getting you one. It looks like that's the case. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. We do, have, uh, we do have a prayer request because we've been having trouble with the border agency as of recent, more than normal, as many of you are aware of. And uh, we are um, asking for prayer as a church as we seek the Lord and just seek to stay here. It's really just that kind of simple. So, Galatians chapter 5. We pick it up in verse 16. Read along with me, please. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against Such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray with me, would you please? On this beautiful night, night, God, 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 where? You have your birds inside. We're seeking to, to still our hearts before you to hear you speak. May we gain more than simply information here tonight. May we truly find ourselves engulfed in you. Changing our hearts, God. Changing our very outlooks, our attitudes. And please, Lord. Let this be crystal clear for each of us. And may we respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it to be true, because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority for which you test all information. The challenge is and command is to walk. Notice in verse 16, we're told to walk in the Spirit. Notice in verse 25, the last verse, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Interesting, those are two actually very different words from each other. We'll talk about that in a moment. We're told to walk in the Word in its simplest sense. Perpetejo literally means to tread through or to tread around. To trample. The issue is not whether you will walk. The issue is how. Apparently there are two specific operating systems for which you can choose. One here is, as we read it, the flesh. The other is the spirit. Notice both have a definite article, and what that means is it's not a flesh or a kind of spirit. It's the spirit, the flesh. 
In verse 1, we read that the spirit, or say that the flesh has a lust. It'll be the same word that'll be in verse 17 when it says that the flesh lusts against the spirit. I'm only setting ground so we can put all of this together. The word lust, and I will go into a handful of Greek words tonight because I just really want this to be really clear, and it seems to be best for that purpose in teaching. The word is epithemia. Epi means upon. To this day, epidermal means upon your skin. Dermos means skin. Epi means upon. Thumia means passion or fury. Now, some of you here will already be more clearly passionate, furious by nature. The difference of listening to Isidro tell you a story. And if Lauren Shabata told you the same story with that same amount of vigor, Lauren would be in a very different state of mind. For Isidro, it would be an ordinary day. His words would get faster. He'd start to break a sweat. His hands would start to move. Lauren, on the other hand, she's a little less furious by nature. I was telling Lauren uh, earlier and, and, and Daniel that there was an Italian girl that we, had walked, we were walking by, I was walking by, uh, at the National Gallery who was sitting down next to her friend. She, had a, she was drinking coffee. She had a glass in her hand. She was very passionate about what she was saying, but it sounded almost like she was singing the way she was doing it. And it was so much so that one of the people walked by and dropped a coin in her drink, assuming she was actually singing for money. Because in their world, that would be singing. Well, let me tell you a quick story, and we'll get into our our text here. And we'll start to see how this plays out. I have a friend who's a vineyard pastor. Now, that doesn't mean he's actually like chaplain over growing grapes. There's a whole sort of branch of, no pun intended, of churches called the vineyard. They tend to be a lot more demonstrative. They tend to be a little bit more whooping it up a bit, and there's a lot more attention towards the spiritual nature and spiritual world. This particular uh, youth pastor had met a young lady who was a Christian and fell for her so hard within a series of a few months they were married. She was quiet, very pristine and demure. He was a little bit more of a fiery fella. He was very fitting for where he was. Now, they didn't know each other very well, needless to say, when they got married. Both of them had saved themselves for marriage. So on the night of the marriage, and I won't develop it too much, that would be uncouth. But they were obviously extremely awkward and very frightening for both of them. For the first time in their life, they are sleeping next to somebody since they were probably one. In the middle of the night... This young man looks at his feet, he's startled, he hears a sound, and he looks up. And there at his feet is a horrible, ugly, scary, floating head. Now, they've not discussed much the spiritual world, though she's a Christian. She comes from a much more subtle, much like her nature, background. So he tries to quietly deal with it. In the name of Jesus Christ, Satan. It almost seems to bob with him and as if it were mocking him. It's not going away. So he starts to raise his voice. Jonathan begins to say, In the name of Jesus Christ, Satan flee. He's trying not to wake up his poor bride. It continues to look as if it were mocking. He jumps up on the bed. In the name of Jesus! Because if he's going to scream it, it's going to take it seriously, right? She freaks out. She's never had an experience like this. She turns on the lights on the light. The horrible, ugly, floating head was his own. True story. Jonathan, by the way, up from Cambria. Now, follow me on this for a moment. The whole idea is that Jonathan saw something scary and clearly at enmity. The problem is Jonathan did not recognize that what he was really battling was himself. I imagine he would have probably dealt with it in a very different manner. Perhaps covered up his footboard, for instance. No, follow me on this. What he tells us in this first verse, the set for this entire rest of the chapter is that there are two sides. There is the Spirit of God... And there is the flesh of you, your flesh nature. 
Now understand what the flesh nature is. In the simplest sense, the flesh nature just has two words, me first. That is the flesh nature in its emblem. It's banner waved, it's standard set up, me first is the flesh nature. And he tells us that on one side is the flesh nature. Before we gave our life to Christ, that's all we had was the flesh nature. It was all about, look after number one, baby. Then, according to Ephesians chapter 1, the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, God is a guarantee of his inheritance, as a guarantee of your adoption, placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. And now the battle begins. See, before that point, there was never a battle because dead people don't fight. But the moment you received the gift of Jesus Christ, there was a me-first attitude. Now, I don't know about you, I accepted the gift of Jesus at 19. That means I had 19 years to develop what it meant to be me-first. And when the Holy Spirit was placed inside of me, he had a lot of work to do. Well, he's not done yet, let me tell you. But the good news is Philippians tells me that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. So you wonder why there's this battle? Well, he tells us right here. He tells us that you're going to choose to walk in one of these two things. Now, the Spirit's going to put Jesus first. He's going to put others second and then put you last. You've probably seen that acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. Well, understanding that the Holy Spirit inside of you starts saying, you know, it really isn't about you. Let's start making it about others. That's what the Holy Spirit starts to do inside of us. And all of a sudden, stuff becomes less important. People become more important, for instance. But the flesh nature is there dwelling too. And the flesh nature says, no, 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 no. You need to think about you. You need to make sure you're taken care of. You need to, it's about you. Well, the problem is, if God's made his whole being about taking care of you, why do you need to do it? So what happens is that it tells us here that if we were to walk, and again, the idea was just to choose to take a direction. Choose to take a direction. The, 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 your flesh is saying, let's go this way so you could put you first. The Holy Spirit's going, let's go this way so you could become more like Jesus and put others first. And he says, if you choose to do one, you will not fulfill the less of the other. Now understand, the word fulfill is the word teleos. And the word teleos means the end of the route. Now understand, that's the point here is that your flesh nature has a route. Like if your flesh nature was a bus. And this is what it says, to give you an idea, in the book of James. This is just kind of developed that. In James 1.14, it tells us, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his, own, by his own desires and enticed. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. The flesh nature... If you were to look at the front of the bus, where it tells you where it's headed, it would say, death. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at a bus and it says, death, I think, probably shouldn't take that one. And he says, you can choose that route. As a Christian, you can still choose that route. You can still get on that bus. But you have a choice not to. Before you accepted Jesus, before I accepted Jesus... I lived on that bus, and so did you. I got off that bus the moment I accepted Jesus, and now at that bus stop, he says, now you can choose one of two directions. Do you want to choose to destroy yourself and others, or do you want to choose life? And he tells us then, notice in verse 17, that the flesh lusts. The word lust there again, epithemia, takes its passion, its fury, and puts it upon so, get the idea here. In the Middle East, guys could be talking to each other about the weather and it looks like they're about to beat each other up. Here, that's very different. When guys talk about the weather here, they're done with talking to you. It's a very subtle and very different world. But to take that fury, and the difference is, is that fury remaining on them or is that fury being about to be put upon someone? That's very different. In the Middle East, the fury usually stays within them. They run hot and they talk hot, but they keep the fury on them. They don't go after the person in front of them. But to take your fury, think about the last time you were furious. You were passionate. You were super, super intense. And he says the flesh nature has declared war against the Spirit of God. 
It's furious, and it wants to take that fury and go after the Spirit of God. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit of God also has a fury, and his fury is to go against the flesh. Which means I cannot be walking with the Spirit or in the Spirit and be fulfilling my flesh nature. There are two opposite directions. And notice what it says in verse 17, that these are contrary to one another. The term contrary, of course, is the idea that they've literally set up camp, dug in their heels to fight each other. Now, in my household, I have different types of personalities, as you probably do in yours. Certain individuals can look very mild until pushed. But there are certain individuals, when you push, they're a pushover. And there are certain individuals, when you push, they push back. When you take two individuals of similar personality, and one pushes, and then it pushes, and that person pushes back to another person that then is getting pushed and pushes back. Often this happens between daughters and mothers. You understand what this verse says. That on one side, the Holy Spirit is not given up ground. On the other side, the flesh has no intention of giving up ground either. Let me make this clear. Your flesh nature will never convert. Your flesh nature will never succumb. It has to be defeated and declared dead. That's why in Romans 5.11 it says, Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That means you have a choice. Sin wants to reign. What it wants, understand your flesh nature, this sin nature, this flesh nature wants total domination. It isn't gonna, it's not in the timeshare. And you know, this, the best example I can give you is for any of you who have ever had to deal with a very threatening addiction. For a person who has an addiction with drinking, one beer is all it takes. Where you realize it is not interested in a slight buzz. It is interested in totally destroying your liver, your family, your life, your finances, everything. You start jumping in, you're going to jump in, and you're going to need to be rescued. Well, that's the way sin is. And Jesus told us that whoever sins is a slave to it. But what Paul tells us is now that we've been born again, you don't have to be a slave to it anymore. You make that choice. And this is how he says it. Listen, therefore, do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It's a military term, by the way. And he's writing to the Romans and they would get that. That's why he's writing it in such a way. And the idea is simple. When the bugle is blown, you show up at the line and you are there. Yes, sir, I'm ready. There's the idea of presenting yourself. And he says, imagine, if you will, on one camp is the flesh and on one camp is the spirit on the other camp. And somewhere you're in between. And when the when the bugle is blown on both sides, you are going to be deployed by one of those two. You are making the choice. You get up in the morning and you're like, which camp do I want to go to? Which camp do I want to stand in? Because one way or another, I am going to whether I know it or not, whether I like it or not, I'm going to present myself and say, well, here I am. I'm at your disposal. Now, I may think I'm in charge in the flesh, but I'm not. And as a result of that, I think, oh, I'm just going to control my own life. I'm going to handle my own life. I step on everybody else in the process that can't make me a decent individual. And so what Paul says in Romans is, look at when the bugle's blown, you gotta, you, you're going to need to make your choice before the bugles are blown because a choice having to be made like this is never a great one. So make the choice ahead of time. You know what? When I get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to get in the Word of God right away. I'm going to, you know, and it's like it's so easy. I don't know about you. I sleep with my phone next to me because some of you text me at 3 in the morning. And, and, and it's important because I want to make sure I'm there to handle a response as long as it isn't just, hey. At 3 in the morning, don't hey me. But if y'all need prayer, you're going to get it. So when I wake up in the morning... You know, your phone is everything. I mean, in the sense that you can look at the news, you can check your emails. For those of you who are Facebookers, you can check, oh, I wonder what someone said. Ate a sandwich. Wonderful. I mean, all of the things you can get. I have about 30 different Bible programs. You can check and see. I have about 30 different Bible programs on my phone. And it's the first thing. And so that when I open it up, if my finger gets somewhere naturally, it's right where my Bible program is. Because when I open that thing up, I wanted to be able to go, okay, boom. I want to be able to read the word because if not, I will not be mentally prepared for the next thing that happens, which is that my wife's going to wake up and she's going to start sharing something. 
I had a dream. What do you think this means? Or, hey, what do you think? Or whatever. And I'm like, on all the things that I'm like, hey, I want to be spiritually ready to give a spiritual answer for a spiritual need right away. But I need to make that choice, to be honest, for tomorrow morning, right now. Because the bugle's going to be blown when I wake up, whether I like it or not. And I want to already have made my decision what camp I'm going to be in. So hear me on this. I mean, the, the text is going to develop fairly easy. But please hear me. He's like, there is a war. And inside you and inside me, there is a war where there are two camps. And those camps are, are, are and he says, so you don't do what you want. The term want, by the way, or will there, is the term thelo. It's the, mean, like the term we get the will of God. Understand the idea is there's the desire or the pleasure. It's like you don't do what would please you. Inside you, the Spirit of God is saying, you know this will bless you because you'll be a blessing to others. And you know that. But there's another part of you that goes, oh, man, but I really want to get mine. And when you succumb to that, you'll go, dang it, why did I do that? I knew the results before I started. I knew where this was going to end up. But I was like caught up into it. The moment I was like, the moment you jump in the line on that, you'll be amazed where you get deployed. How quickly. So it was like the two are, the two are contrary to each other. They are not kind of just one off a little bit of the other. It isn't like they're evil. You know, there's a one that's nice and the other is the evil twin brother. But you could just probably somewhere down the line conk it on the head and, and it'll come to its senses like one of those sort of sitcoms where the bad guy turns good somehow but he comes to a revelation. No, the flesh has to die. And that doesn't mean you're carving yourself or trying to kill yourself physically. The point is simple. The reason that how is the simplest way to starve a flesh thing or how to kill a flesh is to starve it to death. There's the idea. I mean, I've often heard said that the battle between the spirit of God and your flesh nature is like a battle of two dogs fighting. And the one that wins is the one you feed. And there are different things. I mean, think about what feeds the me first mindset. That could be friends. That could be Christian friends that are being careless. Or ignorant. It could be what you listen to or what you watch, and all of a sudden it's all about you. And you know, it could be it, there's so many things that could feed that flesh nature, and all of a sudden you've made it so much about you. It's like it's it's like you people have they've got to cross all these lines, or you're going to be offended, or you're going to feel insecure, or you're going to just feel better than everyone. It's amazing what happens when you get there. And then when you start feeding it, it's like for some people, to be honest, they could watch football. It doesn't mean anything. Other guys, they watch football and they turn into the biggest jerk while it's feeding their flesh. And it's got to be so important to me that I really don't want to feed it. I want to starve it to death. I know this, that the moment I'm on my knees in prayer and I'm seeking the Lord and I'm in his word like right now, God is investing because it tells us that faith comes by hearing and not the word of God. God is instilling within you. He's making deposits into your account this very moment about this. Think about that. So he says this, verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you won't have to worry about all of the laws. Because if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to find yourself doing the right thing. The word led by the way for what it's worth. And it's important. And then the word ago, and the word ago means to be led or to be guided or directed or driven. And the idea is when the Spirit is driving you, when he's moving or he's leading you into things, you won't have to think, well, am I doing the right thing? Because the moment God's Spirit is leading you, the great news is you will find yourself doing the right thing. And then he goes into this comparison. Like a classic good Jewish teacher, he teaches by comparison, by contrast. Notice in verse 19, by the way, and it's interesting, is 16 things will be mentioned from between verses 19 through to verses 21. And they will be the works. Notice that's plural. The works of the flesh. In verse 22, then, through 23, we're going to find that there are, on the other side of it, nine things listed. But notice it's called, it's called, called the fruit. Plural or singular? Singular. Now, some people read this and they start to think, well, you know, instead of actually giving it careful thought, they go, well, how can nine things be one thing? So therefore, I'm going to say the fruits of the Spirit. But I'd like you to realize that what he's doing is he's teaching us here. And the way that he's teaching us is so fundamental because this is what he tells us works. The word works, by the way, is the word ergos. For instance, the word in is en, and if something is in motion or in action, we call it en ergos. That's where we get the word energy from. And the idea of it, the works is what this flesh does. It's just that simple. What your flesh, when it manifests on the outside, that nature, when it starts to manifest, and that's what it says, that the works of the flesh are evidence. Notice that. And the word evident, phaneras, means, in essence, to manifest or to be recognized. It's easily recognizable. You won't have to go, I wonder if this is the flesh in action. 
And he gives us now this list. Now notice, by the way, it'll break down into this. Sexual sins, spiritual sins, emotional sins, selfish sins, and party sins. But this is why I don't want to go so quickly through this, so, this portion. Because notice what it says in verse 21. Of which I tell you beforehand, even as I told you in time past, this isn't the first time I've told you this, that those who practice these things, practice, by the way, for what it's worth, the word praso means to be busy with it, to make it a lifestyle, to commit, to carry on, to perpetuate. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, does that make you concerned? Because it should. God says, look it, you're not going to find anybody who makes this their lifestyle going to heaven. The question is, where do you, what do you want to do with that? Do you want to go and say, all right, well, I'm just going to bank on something. The bottom line is, if you've given your life to Christ, he says, this should not be your lifestyle anymore. This doesn't mean it's something that if you've done it, you're like, all right, Lord, I'm going to take, I'm going to change my mind, make this different. That's one thing. But when we're saying, you know what, I'm just choosing this is just who I am. Well, that's another altogether. And he says, that is not acceptable. So look at it with me. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. This is what it is. First is adultery. That's self-explanatory. That's any form of sex outside of marriage in a married uh, context. Fornication is any other type of sex without marriage. The word, by the way, is the word pornea. We're familiar with it because the word for writing is graphos. So when you put sex writing, it's pornographos. That's where we get the word from. Uncleanness. The word uncleanness, by the way, for Akathusias, the word for that means in a simple sense to be, well, to be filthy, to be unclean, to be impure. You ever have that kind of person? You know, it's amazing. No matter what you talk about, some people will be like, oh, and they can make a sexual innuendo out of it. Have you noticed that? It doesn't matter what you talk about. You could talk about any object. You can say anything. And somehow that's where it goes. Well, that's what he's talking about here is the idea that you're so profligate. You're so full of of just pollution that everything seems to go there. It's like some people are like, I don't even want to talk to this person because every time it seems like that's where they want to go with this. Well, that's the idea of this. And then the word lewdness. The word lewdness, by the way, it means something unbridled, something so full of license and lacking shame. So... I mean, there's got to be a point somewhere where, you, you know this, do you remember that voice inside that said, you know, this isn't right? Now, for some of us, that voice has been a lot more definitive and very loud. For some of us, we've had to discover that voice. I mean, I still don't hear that voice when it's like, hey, there's a cliff, let's jump off. I don't hear the voice that says, you might not want to do that. I've never heard that voice. I hear it's about a zip line that you can go on, by the way, up in Snowdonia, that's 100 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. That voice actually, God says he doesn't put that voice in me because that voice is my wife. She says that all the time. But I remember once I accepted the the gift of Jesus Christ and I started hearing this, you know, this really just isn't right. It's just morally not right. And I know the moment I hear that, if I choose to tread forward ignoring it, I'm going to feel ashamed afterwards. And think, stupid, what was I thinking? I was so bent on getting that thing. For what purpose? Well, that's the first one. He says, listen, the works, plural, the actions of the flesh. Oh, you won't miss them. And here's the first batch. Adultery, it's an act of the flesh. Fornication, it's an act of the flesh uncleanness and lewdness, it's an act of the flesh. The next two are spiritual, idolatry and sorcery. Interesting, the word idolatry, I, I think of when we go to First Samuel and God is rebuking Saul, he says, you know, even stubbornness is like idolatry. Because you're putting something else up and refusing to follow me and you're putting this thing up instead, yourself. But more fascinating to me is the word for sorcery because the word for sorcery is the word pharmakeia. Of course, it's where we get the word pharmacy, because understand, original sorcery was done through the use of hallucinogenics. It's a, you know, people who are dropping acid, we're diving into meth, people who have to find the, in the next hit for ecstasy, or find the next hit of ecstasy. He says, that's all this sorcery is. It's a sorcery, because in the end of it all, your whole world just warps. 
And he goes, you know what that is? That's where your flesh is. That's what your flesh wants. That's the route on that bus you're on, if that's the one you want to take. He says there's also these, emotional sins, hatred, choosing to make yourself other people's enemies, contentions, the idea of constantly trying to start arguments and start fights, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. I think, I think it's interesting for contentions because in Proverbs 22.10 it tells us that if you cast out the scoffer, the contentions will cease. Do you know what a scoffer is? A scoffer is somebody that's so quick to make fun of people. They always find something that makes them worse than themselves. You know? It's like, you know, you, it, the problem is you put a scoffer in a room, nobody starts having fun anymore. I mean, without, with the absence of a scoffer, the opposite might be a cheerleader. Uh, you know, with the absence of a scoffer, people actually might get up and dance, so to speak. But they're so afraid someone will point and laugh at them. By the way, you were aware of the fact that scoffers don't do the thing they make fun of, right? I mean, I've never met a scoffer that does something better than someone else. They just make fun of somebody else while they're doing it. It isn't like, ha, 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 I can do that better. They just say, ha, ha, you look stupid doing it. And he says, the reason I say this is that part of this works of the flesh is contentions. Somebody who just quick to scoff and cause division among people. And they're so proud that they find fault in everything. You know the kind of person you just don't want to bring anything to because they're just, it's the only thing they'll find. He says, I want you to know, if it's a you first, let's face it, if, I, if I'm living in a me first mindset and you start doing something that looks really awesome, that'll threaten me because I thought I was awesome until you started doing that thing. So I got to get you to stop doing it because it's making me feel bad about myself. Well, how do I get you to stop? Well, I make fun of you. Strangely enough, often when someone's making fun of you, then you realize it's quite a compliment. Not always, but clearly it's the case. Outbursts of wrath. Explosions of fury is the idea here. Now, I don't know which of these you latch onto. Now, clearly, as we go through this list, I think some of us will be like, oh, dang it, that one. And some of us will be like, oh, I'm cool with that one, but that one. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but please hear me on this. The next group is selfish sins. The word for selfish ambitions is an interesting word. The word is epithaya. Can you say epithaya? Epithaya means electioneering. Perfect timing, by the way, for such a, a particular word. It's only, before, it, this word was only used before the New Testament, as far as I'm aware of, by Aristotle. And he spoke about those people who are so self-seeking, they're constantly campaigning for you to think they're awesome. That's the word here for selfish ambition. You know the kind of person, no matter what you say, uh, they're always going to top you? You know, like, you know, I just, you know, I'm, I'm having an awesome day today. Somebody gave me like, you know, you know, you could be like, oh, I was walking through the stalls and someone gave me a free bracelet. It was so cool. And they're like, oh, well, actually, somebody gave me four free bracelets and their whole whatever. And you're like, what, really? And you're like, oh, I'm not feeling well. You know, my stomach kind of hurts. Oh, well, you know, that reminds me of when my stomach was impaled by a shark, you know, or whatever. And you're like, what? And it's like, why do you always have to be better? Well, that's kind of the idea where they're constantly campaigning for you. But you understand, you know why somebody's campaigning, right? Because if they think if you believe in them enough, maybe they will. Maybe they can get you to vote for them. Maybe somewhere down the line, they'll vote for themselves. It's a very sad place to be. And that's the word that's here. And he says that's what happens in the flesh. Selfish ambitions, but also dissensions, notice. The word dissensions in a simple sense means twice station. The idea of it is that you take people and you start putting them into two different camps. Titus 3.10 tells us to, to reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. You give him two warnings and then you're out of here. God says that is, you do not dismember the body of Christ. Heresies. And I think it's an interesting word because we think heresies. How is that selfish? Well, the word, by the way, for what it's worth, laresis. Laresis means to take capture, like storming a city. That's the problem with heresies. This isn't just somebody who believes bad doctrine. This is somebody who's going out there and trying to take other people captive in their bad doctrine. I mean, there are people out there, I genuinely believe, who are standing by some of those uh, stations, the underground stations, and they're handing you pamphlets that really have no clue how wrong they are with what they're handing you. There are others who are very clear that what they, they know their lies, but they're still quick to, prop, to propagate them. 
And there's a difference. He says, the idea of this is, do you know that kind of person? They're always trying to pull you into their thing. Hey, their thing may be trying to get you against someone else. Their thing may just be that they have this kind of really weird thought and they want to make sure you know it really well so you'll agree with them. Well, that's the idea here in the works of the flesh. But if you put you first, wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want everyone to agree with you so they could realize how smart and awesome you are? Envy. Murders. And then we get to the last batch, and that's party sins. Drunkenness. I I think we kind of get that. By the way, it's interesting because the word is the word methe. Of course, drunkenness is intoxication by anything. Revelries. This is one of the few places I'd like to read to you from an old dictionary about the word komos, which is the word for revelries, because it just sounds so cool. You ready for this? A nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence use generally of feasts and of drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. That help you at all? Let me just say it this way. Revelry in its simple sense means the party lifestyle. That's clubbing. That's going out. And basically, you know, nothing good's going to happen there. That's the idea of a revelry. And he says, I want you to realize this is what happens when you put you first after you've accepted Jesus Christ. Before that point, you did that. You just didn't give it a second thought. Except, well, I'm not getting what I want. Apostles, can I warn you? Before you decide to make this a little hint of something in your life right now? A little hint of fornication? A little hint of revelry? A little hint of, well, come on, God made pot. I mean, he made marijuana, so shouldn't we all smoke it? Sure, if, that, if you want to use that argument, then you should be able to light everything on fire that God made and, and breathe it into your lungs. Good luck with that. Well, but... Didn't God allow the, the process that allows alcohol to come? That process, by the way, is the process of de- degradation. It's what allows dead things to decay. That's really good because if things didn't decay, we'd have a lot more dead things around us right now. Please hear me in all of this. The whole point's simple. He's saying that, that none of these things should become your lifestyle. When these things start coming, you realize this is, this is the list. This is the to-do list. Here is the, here is the flesh driver, and he's there with his list like this, and the bugle is blown, and you show up, and he's like, hmm, I think I want to deploy you to gossip. I want to deploy you to selfish ambition, and I want to deploy you to pursuing something completely empty and vain, and I want to pursue, and I want to bring you to a point of fighting somebody in fury, you know, and an outburst of wrath, and I want to bring you to drunkenness, and I want to bring you to, I mean, and that's what, that's what's, that's the list here. That's the to-do list of your flesh. But then he says, after all, he says, you don't want that. That's what people going to hell look like. You don't want to look like that. He goes, but the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes through this list. Hear me on this, and I'll develop this last portion. Well, actually, let me develop it first, just for the sake of clarity. Here it is. Love, total selflessness, agape, joy. And by the way, it's so beautiful. Kara is the word. And the word joy, by the way, is not happiness. Happiness is the idea that some circumstance has made you feel pleasant. It comes from the word happen, for instance. I remember trying to, to bring this difference when I used to teach secondary school. Kids that were 11. I said, what would make you happy? It's like, I got a puppy. Sweet. Well, and I got a new iPhone. Okay. And I got a new bike. Sweet. All right. So you got a new puppy. You got a new iPhone. You know, um, you, know you got a new bike. Sweet. How about you? Oh, I got $100. Sweet. Okay. You got $100. So let me have this right. So if you got $100, you got a puppy, you got a bike, you got an iPhone, you're all happy, right? Yeah, then I beat you up, steal your iPhone, take your money, and then run over your dog with his bike. Who's still happy in here? That's the problem with happiness. Happiness is temporary like anything of this world. It tells us sin is fun for a season. There is a fun, but it's short-lived. That's the problem is if you realize that if you think that's the only fun there is to be had, well, you'll go for it because at least it's some fun. 
I mean, you know that. You're going to go out to a bar. You're going to blow your mind out for a small period of time until you drink too much. You feel kind of happy. You giggle. You know the next morning you're going to wake up and wish you were dead. You know, you, you wonder who, like, carpeted your tongue, and you wonder who ran over your head. But it's, like, it's amazing because at least you think, well, I had that little tiny window where I was smiling. I've heard someone say, well, alcohol isn't the answer. It just helps you forget the question. But then you come and you go, well, Jesus wants to offer you these things in abundance. Not this happiness, but a joy. A joy that surpasses understanding so that when things get rough, you can say, you know what? I still have the joy of the Lord. Hey, staring in the face of some crazy, brave, weird things, I have not lost my joy. And the Bible tells us, Jesus says, when I'm raised again, I will give you a joy no one can take. Listen, no one can take. Do you know what that means? You can't, nobody can steal your joy. It isn't like you woke up and went, oh my goodness, someone broke in my house and stole my joy. Fool, if that's the case, you don't have joy, you have happiness. Joy can't be stolen. You can trade it, and the enemy knows it. He's like, I've got happiness here. Give me some of your joy. Because he knows how dangerous you are with joy. Because the world looks, and when they, and to be honest, the only time the world's going to see you joyful is when you have no reason to be happy. Let me say that again. The only time the world's going to see you joyful is when you have no reason to be happy. And so when you go, well, how are you doing? Well, you know, it's kind of up and down. You know, one day I'm good, one day I'm bad. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the world. Stop living by circumstances. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, total selflessness, joy. And there is the idea of a contentedness that surpasses circumstance. Peace. Erene. It comes from a word, mideros, means to be joined. Understand, understand how important this word is. Because the idea of peace is not great cosmic mellowness. That's what the world's looking. And here's the simplest truth. The way the world is looking for peace is to look at emptying themselves. And that's the same thing with our meditation. They just empty themselves so they can open themselves up to spiritual influence. You know what? Like, that's why it's like, you know what total peace is to the world? You know, it's a glass of wine. It's a bubble bath. And all of the kids have been shipped to China for a week. You're right? No bills. The phone doesn't ring. Calgon, take me away. The problem is they're coming back. The bills are still going to arrive. And you can't stay in that bathtub all night. But peace, according to Scripture, is you were created for a union with God. And the word means to join. And the moment that you and God lock, you're at peace. It's a relationship term. Two people that were once at enmity are now at peace with each other. And the great part about that is that that peace can surpass understanding. I love that. That's a, such a beautiful thing because it's like, I don't even know. I mean, if I, if I understood the circumstances, you'd think I would be freaked out. But to be honest, I'm at rest because I'm still at union with God. Because I'm at union with God, I don't really have to worry about it. I know he's got it taken care of. Patience or long-suffering as we see it. The idea, literally it means, and I, I love the way that these words kind of play out. Because when I look at these, I think, which of these do I want? Hello, I want them all. How about you? The term for long-suffering here is the term macrothumia. Does thumia sound familiar? That's the word passion or fury. Remember that? Macro is the opposite of micro. Micro means what? Tiny. Macro means big. For instance, if you have a nice camera, you can get a macro lens. It helps, get, helps capture big things. So what does it mean to have long-suffering or to have patience? It literally means that you have big fury. Well, wait a minute. How does that work? Can I say it this way? You have a long wick. There is a long distance to get to the place where fury comes out. I mean, some people, you kind of know, man, they're touchy. You like kind of say hi the wrong way, and they just turn into the Incredible Hulk. There are others, man, it just seems like no matter how much you push them, they just, they will not erupt. Well, they have, they have patience. Isn't that what patience is? Think about it. Patience is you don't freak out, turn green, and start going, when somebody pushes you. You're patient. Which, by the way, you're aware of the fact that patience can only be demonstrated when it's being tried. Have a nice day. So who pushes your buttons that you need to demonstrate patience to? Maybe we're back to that two camps, both sides pushing thing. Next word is kindness. The idea of there, of course, is just total benevolence. It's, 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 it's a gentleness towards another. Goodness, and the idea of there is something that benefits others. 
Faithfulness, that's somebody, by the way, simply that you can trust. Gentleness, and I like the word protest. It's the word that Jesus used when he said, blessed are the meek. It does not mean weak. It is used of a horse the moment it is able to be steered. Before that, it's a wild colt. But the moment that it becomes steerable, it is protest. It's meek. God didn't take away the power. We just submitted ourselves to his steering. That's the word here for gentleness. And then lastly, self-control, the idea of personal governance. Now listen, and we're almost done now. It tells us that the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh is singular or plural? Works of the flesh. Plural. Fruit of the Spirit, singular or plural? Singular. So how does that play out? Well, let's just say it this way. Let's say that Louie and I decide to take a trip to Kansas. He's always wanted to, he's, you probably, well, Louie, this is all hypothetical. A huge fan of Wizard of Oz, wants to be able to go back to Kansas to see what a farm looks like. And so we go. Problem is, is that Kansas is what they call Tornado Alley. And while we're there, a giant F4, one mile wide tornado starts to hit and touch down. Well, with tornadoes come a lot of other things. And one of those things is lightning. And while we're standing there, by God's grace, Louis gets hit in the head with some lightning. That's not really not God's grace. I'm sorry, bro. The problem is not the fact that he got hit on the top of the head with the lightning. Because the most dangerous spot will not be where the, where the lightning enters. The problem is where it exits. Oh, he'll probably, well, he won't, he won't. Yeah, I'm being careful. Yeah. Uh, he may have a spot up here. It won't be a lot of singeing, by God's grace. But they may blow a hole in his chest. It could blow a finger off or a hand off if it's not careful. I mean, it can, I mean what the damage it can do on its exit is infinitely worse than the way it comes in. Does that make sense? Oh, it could come in through his head. It doesn't matter where it comes in. The issue is not where it comes in. The problem is it could come out anywhere. I mean, it'll happen so fast that it isn't like he has a lot of time to go wonder where it's going to go. So it could, go, it could go his hands, it could go his feet, it could be his abdomen, it could be his neck. And that's the problem. People die from its exiting. Are you with me on that? That's the problem with the works of the flesh. There's a plurality to it. It isn't what comes in. It's the fact that it, where it comes in, it could go out in any one of these places or a multiplicity thereof. There's the problem. So here's the issue. I mean, you talk to those people that were like sick and twisted mass murderers that would rape people and then dismember them and tear them apart. You know, and, 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 I, and forgive me for being a bit graphic, but the point was is that when you find out what, they were, what their lifestyle was like before, that they were addicted to pornography, but not even violent pornography. So what pornography did is it fed the flesh. That was the lightning coming in. Them tearing these people apart was how the lightning came out. And that's why that's in the, in the, in the plural. Because it could be any of these or a recipe of them. So what happens is maybe you don't have a problem. You're like, you're like, I don't understand. I mean, I'm not doing, I'm not watching like WWF or cage fighting or anything. You know, to be honest, I'm not watching anything that's violent. But somehow when this and this happens, I feel violent. Well, the problem is violence, notice on their outburst of wrath, is one of those 19 things or 16 things. They're one of the places it exits. But it doesn't have to enter the same place it exits. So you could be feeding the flesh by selfishness somewhere else. And that selfishness makes you violent here because that's where it exits. The problem is, if you've ever heard about people who've been struck by lightning more than once, it has a tendency to go and retrace the same route. Because now there's something already sort of carved. And there's the problem. So let's say you have a weakness in a certain area. Like, for instance, for me, I grew up violent. That was definitely a problem for me. Now, I'll, I'll be, and you can ask me, not that, you, you know, I need you to validate, but you're welcome to. My family's never seen me violent. They have never seen me even very angry. They've seen, they've seen me frustrated, of course. But they've never seen me where it's like the person that I used to be. But I wasn't like I would do things to develop that anger or that rage. But if I drank, for instance, I was not the nicest guy. Usually I was like, leave me alone. But if you were convinced that you needed to be in my bubble, it was not a healthy bubble to be in. And the point was, is that that catered to this. That was where the lightning came in. This is where the lightning came out. So what if it's insecurity? What if it's gossip? What if it's sexual sin? 
here's the thing. You're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm like not you know, excited. Let's face it. You know, you're like, you're out there and it's like the good news is things are so cold. Nobody's going to be showing you anything. You won't see their necks right now, but it's which is good. But you could still be feeding the flesh somewhere else and wonder why you're struggling, even though you haven't seen anything, because you still that's where the lightning is coming in. And that's where the lightning has already built a path on its way out. So it has a tendency to favor that. Does that make sense? And we wonder why we struggle. Often it's because we won't do what we need to do, which is starve the flesh to death. I'm not going to do anything that puts me first. I don't want to be in a place where I'm like my friends are constantly catering to that gossip or, you know, whatever it is that feeds my flesh. And there's some people, it's like, you know, I've seen some people, it's like we've had the best time at night. Some people you can't play board games with. The moment you start playing board games with some people, it's like, oh, my goodness, where did you come from? Some people competition's a good thing. Some people competition's a bad thing. It's what's feeding the flesh. Here's the good news. The reason why, and this is why it's so important that you don't, we don't call it the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're called one because if the lightning of God's Holy Spirit, so to speak, comes in you, it's going to come out in all of those things because it's all one thing. Does that make sense? So it isn't like I'm wondering whether, you know, with the, with the flesh, I don't know where it comes in. It could come out in any of these areas or a whole bunch of them. But for the spirit, I know that as I'm feeding the spirit of God in my own life, I would expect all of these things to manifest. There's the idea of the fruit of the spirit. Here's the cool part. You can't get more love without getting more joy. How cool is that? And you can't get more joy without getting more peace. And you can't get more peace without getting more long suffering. You can't get more long suffering without, you know, and that's the idea. More goodness, more kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. And it's like, I just want more self-control. And God goes, the good thing, is it comes as a package deal. It's a bundle deal. Kind of know that kind of thing where it's like, you know, sometimes like on my computer, I'll need a certain program, but it's like it comes as a disc. It comes with a bundle with three or four other things. It's like, what in the world am I going to do with these? But when I load it, they're all going to be loaded onto my computer. Here's the good news. Every one of these things are things I want. So let me start at the beginning and we'll close this up. He goes, let me challenge you. You're going to walk somewhere. And the way you walk is you're going to follow somebody. You're either going to follow your flesh nature that says, this, is, this day is about me. I deserve a break today. This is about me. It's me day. Or I'm going to follow the Spirit of God that says, I want to put you first, Jesus, and I said, put you first, Jesus. All of this is that you just use me to bless others today. And the difference is going to be radical. Because every step that I take following the Spirit of God is a step, a step where I have more love for you, more love for my family, more joy, more peace, more long-suffering, more kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And I want that. And I don't want to pertain, I don't want any of these other things to manifest that look like a person going to hell. So listen how it ends. Those who are Christ, they've crucified that old stuff. Do you realize what that means is you are trying to, to perform a resurrection on your flesh nature. Paul calls it the body of death in Romans 7. He says, you know that old stuff that used to run you when you said yes to Jesus and hung on a cross? Which means two things. One is that simply it died. The second is it was cursed. What's cursed is that which hangs on a tree. And, that's, and notice what is crucified. My passions and my desires. Verse 25. Verse 26 then. Verse 25, here is the challenge. Verse 26 what could lead me astray to the other side? Three very subtle little things. So here's verse 25. Listen, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I adore this verse. The word live, some of you are familiar with the fact there are two different words for live. There is the word which means to exist. Bios, like biology. When we study biology, we study, we dismember 
frogs or pigs or whatever it is you might, you know, you would have your thing of choice. And you see how a heart works. You see how muscles work. They contract, they expand. You see how lungs work. They contract, they expand. You are observing how something survives, how it exists. But you're not studying what makes a frog jump from one lily pad to another, what motivates it. And somehow down the line, we tend to think that that's the word God uses when he says things like eternal life. Like, oh, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to have eternal existence. Can I say scripturally, you're going to exist eternally somewhere. That's what the Bible makes clear. So why would Jesus even offer us eternal life if that's all it was? But there's another word. The word zoe. And the word zoe is so much more. It's the word that Socrates or Aristotle or Homer would use about somebody in love. It's actually what they use to define that, that state of a person when they read a song. A good one. Not just a sad, sad song. It's the condition a person is in. And the best example, and this is how it's sort of portrayed today, when you watch someone and people go, ah, oh, this is the life. Can you think of a moment in your life where you've done that? You've gone, oh, if I could bottle this very moment, I'd drink it for the rest of my life. Now imagine, and this is the problem with the world, is that moment is temporary, like everything else in the world. So what Jesus promised me was that word, life. That's what he's talking about. And when he says, I want to give you, I've come that you would have life and life abundant. That's not that life that's we're existing. Oh, I'm existing abundantly. My heart really is pounding now. Think about that. Really? And we look at each other and go, are you existing abundantly? What in the world does that mean? You're healthier? Because I'm coming to give you life, vivacity, a reason for your heart to beat, a reason for your lungs to breathe, a reason for your eyes to blink and look for something. Because somewhere you realize, I'm alive. I'm not just existing. I'm alive. And he goes, I want to give you that so much abundant that you bump into people, you spill that life on someone else. And they go, what in the world is that? And you know, go just watch the underground during a rush hour. Everyone, we all walk in like cattle. It's like robots. That's existence. But see a person thriving. Now, that's another story. And Jesus says, that's what I come to give you. I didn't come to give you existence. I came to give you life. Are you with me? So hear me. He says, if we live by the Spirit, that's our word here. Not if we exist by the Spirit. The idea is, if we thrive by the Spirit. You get it? In other words, he goes, if you know that the only way you're going to thrive is through the Spirit of God, then we should walk in him too. But remember that first word walk, the idea of to trample, to trample, you know, around? That's not our word here. This is a different word altogether. This word is the word stoicheho. Can you say stoicheho? That's a real fun one, isn't it? It literally means to proceed in order like to march in a soul, as a soldier does. In other words, the idea of it is we might say step in time. You ever watch, you know, you ever see those marching bands? They're a big thing in America during American football games. And you watch these guys, and they're all like, they're, 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 the guy's got the sousaphone, and that's that giant tube, and he's like, and they're all like, everyone's stepping in the same way. And if you ever watch, and of course, the worst thing is you watch the fails, because the rest may not be that exciting. But you watch, and of course, once one guy turns and everybody else isn't, the whole thing turns into like a car accident, right? And it's like, the whole, it's like and they all just kind of fall on top of each other. The idea of it is, look at if you thrive in the Spirit of God, I mean, you thrive in the Spirit, and if you know, first of all, can I ask, have you resolved, have you resolved, that the only place you're going to save is in the Spirit of God? Have you resolved that? Or are you still trying to figure out if the world can give you some? Because you know that if we don't, if we're still, if that jury's still out, we won't thrive. To thrive, we want to commit. We want to put ourselves with both feet and say, Oh, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let's do this thing. And we start to thrive. And he says, look, if we're going to thrive in the Spirit, then let's keep in time with the Spirit. He starts to march. I'm going to march with him. Do you get it? There's the term he uses. He goes, in the beginning, he goes, look, it, you need to choose which one you're going to walk with. And then once I choose, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Then he goes, oh, let's walk in time with the Spirit by the end of it. So then he says at the end of it, well, let's not do this, because this then is how I'm going to lose step with the Spirit. Three things. Conceited, 
And the idea by Winchester, the word conceited is the word kenodoxos. Kenos means empty, worthless. Doxos means glory. The idea of it is, let us not become hungry to chase after something that's empty glory. Oh, it's shiny. You know what that is? That's something that's shiny but worthless. And can I just dare say, if you're not careful, there are a million of those things you can buy. And it's shiny and it looks so good for the moment. Then you take it home and you're like, why did I get this? I spent how much on this? It's worthless. But it was so shiny. It looks so good. Oh, this looks so good. But it's worthless. Can you see? He goes, look, you want to lose step with the spirit? Get spiritual ADD. Just start looking for shiny things that are worthless. And you're like, oh, that looks so good. But is it really so good? Or is it just presented as such? The second is the term for provoking. The word literally means to call forth. You know the idea where you're like calling somebody, hey, you really? You want some, you want some of this? You want some of this? You're calling the guy forward. You go, well, come on, take a tag at me. You want it? Let's try it. Let's throw some dogs. I mean, that's the idea of provoking. You want to lose step with the Spirit? Start chasing after stupid, empty, shiny things. Or start trying to provoke somebody else. Focus on somebody else. See how you lose step with the Spirit. You know, you can, provoke, you can provoke other people in two different ways. You can provoke them to challenge them to come at you, or you could just call them forward to use them as a standard. We're here, we're praising God, music's going forth, but it's praise, it's worship, we're on our faces, and we're like, God, I just want to tell you I love you, and somebody starts to cry next to you, and you go, that's the move of God, and you have to figure out how to make yourself cry. Because you know what happened is you called the other person forward to say that becomes the new standard. Instead of saying, God, I just want to love you and whatever happens, happens. And if you're not the kind of person that's crying at that moment, you're not freaking out and thinking maybe I'm not having the same experience as, as this person is or at the same depth of experience because I'm not looking at them. I'm not calling them forward as a standard. I'm keeping in line and I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. And I'm just like, you know what? I know I'm keeping in step with the Spirit when I am surrendered and I'm at the feet of Jesus where I belong. That's when I know that's what's happening. So let me ask, have you been chasing shiny, dumb things, empty things? Have you been busy staring at someone else when you shouldn't? And the last thing is envying. Or have you just been staring at their stuff and wishing you had it? Because he goes, you'll never keep in step with the Spirit if that's where you are. Hey, it doesn't just have to be stuff. It could be their gifts, right? It could be their talents. You ever watch somebody go, oh, I just wish I could do that. How come I can't be that? How come I can't? have a full head of hair like that guy? How come I can't have that body? How come I can't sing like that or play like that or speak like that or, or serve selflessly like that person? Or how come? And you know what's happening at a moment like that. You're still envying. Now, how can I possibly keep in step with the Spirit when I'm staring at somebody else wishing I had them or wishing I was them? And the Spirit's like, but if you followed me, I'm going to use you in a way that you'll be really, really happy about the person I'm making you. So look at this. We go to prayer. Here's my prayer for you and my prayer for me. Beloved, please hear me. From this point on, we're going to be accountable for this information. And the Lord called you tonight in this cold church building. Remember it was sunny last week? Today you were all, like, all sitting here in parkas, in, inside. And tonight on this night, he told you that we have a choice to make from this point forward of which bugle we're going to listen for. And we want to make the decision ahead of time, am I going to put me first, or am I going to surrender to the Lord and let him use me? Am I going to be busy lifting myself up, or am I going to be busy being used by the Lord to build others up? Well, for that to happen, I can't do both. And on one, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for me that God would start identifying, we call it flesh feeders, those things that feed your flesh. That the moment you're in that environment, the moment you listen to that thing, see that thing, hang out with that thing, do that thing, it just puts you in the wrong place. Let's say, well, God, either kill the man in it or kill the thing so I can't have to deal with it anymore. And then in that, my prayer for every one of us tonight is that we will get excited 
about the fact that we can make the choice to thrive. You realize the world can't thrive at all. They're dead, spiritually dead, until they accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Died on the cross, according to Scripture, for our sins, was buried, just like Scripture promised, rose again on the third day, and offers us a new life. Life. Not just existence now. Life. Before that point, we all had bios. The moment Jesus rose from the dead, he offers us zoe. There's the idea. Because today we want to make sure that we make the choice. Do I want to live a life that thrives? Because you can. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful text. Thank you so much that on this night you've made clear there's a war. The moment we said yes to you, we became part of the war. And the reason is we got adopted into the family and the family's at war. Thank you, though, Lord. I've read the book. You've already won. It doesn't mean the enemy doesn't try to fight. But in the end of it all, what becomes clear and evident is that I can choose to feed the enemy the horrible, ugly, floating head that I can realize it's just myself that needs to die. So you who dwell within me would show me a life that thrives. And I know the entire world will lobby against these very things. And funny, I could be in your word for 30 minutes in the morning, prayer for the same, and have the best attitude and day. And the enemy would try to tell me, how could that be fun? Yet I watch... You feed your spirit's nature inside of me. The same way that, Lord, I know there are certain days I've woken up and not eaten anything and been crabby and nasty for quite a while until I eat. And I want to make that choice, Lord, even now, that every day when the bugle's blown, I know which one I'm listening for. And I'm offering myself as an instrument of righteousness to help make others right with you. And to walk in that rightness with you myself. So, tonight here in this room, I pray for every one of us that we will make that choice once and for all where thriving is. We recognize that we are, if to make, to be in one camp will make us an enemy of the other. So we want to choose wisely. Give us a distaste for all of these 16 things. May they be abhorrent to us. May we see them as traits of the enemy and desire in no manner to imitate them. But rather, Lord, tonight here in this room, that you'd start to show us the fruit, Lord, that comes with your Holy Spirit being planted inside of us, flourishing and bringing that fruit, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that faithfulness, that gentleness, that self-control, for which there's no law Because those things themselves are a law of themselves. When we see those things manifested, we will be the person you want us to be. To be honest, we'll be the person we want us to be. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross for us. We thank you that all of our sins were paid there and that the flesh nature that once ruled us was crucified there. Its passions and desires all crucified there. And as you rose again, Jesus, you came to give us life and life abundant and everlasting. So Lord, may we live that life now from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, saints, for the blessing of being in the Word with you, for the honor of being your pastor.